Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about an interesting restaurant trend. No cell phones. Can you survive a three-hour dinner without it? Then we have a great roundtable of guests to discuss the Filipino food scene in North Texas, and the Fletcher's Corny Dog family returns to talk about their new food truck. It's going to be really fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make every recipe in the cookbook foodie or a my favorite recipe is reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. This is going to be a good one, so be sure to visit dallasnews.com food after this for detailed show notes of everything we talk about. And if you want us to answer your questions or talk about something specific, send us a voice memo via our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll have on Chef Anna Swan of Ulam Dallas to talk about Filipino food with writer Tina Danzi and Dallas chocolatier Steve Smith. But right now, I'm joined by food reporters Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about food and restaurant news. One of the biggest talkers this week was a story that Sarah wrote on Katarina's in Fort Worth, and she has this hilarious backstory. Yes, the deal at Katarina's in Fort Worth from Chef Tim Love is that you can't have your cell phone. And there are a lot of reasons why that made me nervous. And there had been a fair amount of news stories already written about this fact. So I decided to understand it myself. I wanted to ask the chef for dinner at his own restaurant and experience it. Do my kids and my husband need to contact me in these couple of hours? You know, how does this work? It felt gimmicky to me. And so I went on a Wednesday, drove over to Fort Worth, went to the restaurant, had really a lovely dinner with the chef. He's good company. He's interesting. And it's a beautiful place. The food was quite good. What I didn't realize is that it was raining outside when we left because it is the kind of place where you just get sort of sucked in. There's no windows and everyone in there is talking to one another and they're not looking at their cell phones. And your cell phone is actually locked in one of those pouches like you're at a comedy show. You could possibly hear it vibrate or ring, but you can't get to it unless you go up to the front and unlock it. And I mean, they seriously frowned upon this. They've asked you to put your phone away for a reason. And so I had this dinner. No one needed me. (laughs) It was really interesting, actually, to just talk to a person for a couple of hours and talk about food and about culture and not get interrupted with a phone call or a text message or a weather alert. Right. So I opened the door and there is like a sheet of rain out there. And it's an upscale place. I'm wearing a dress and suede open-toed shoes (laughs) and, of course, no umbrella. And my car is not nearby. The server rushes up to me and says, like, can I help you? And he gives me a trash bag and opens it up and sticks my head through it and then makes one armhole. (laughs) So I've got one armhole out, but I've got the other arm in because I'm holding my suede shoes, which I haven't made a deal of and they're not that important, but they would be ruined. And so I just thought, well, can I run barefoot on the brick streets of the Fort Worth stockyards? Never tried before, but sure. So one arm out, one arm in holding the two shoes. And then um, with this one arm out, I have a black Katarina's cloth napkin on my head, (laughs) like a bandana. (laughs) 
and I'm running with this server who's who's like trying to help me find my car. Um, and we had like a moment there. I right, feel like yeah. as we were running because it was bonding. like, what is happening right now? <laughs> um, it was such a funny symbol for what happens when you're not with your phone. Yeah, like the world continues without you. But it's kind of lovely to not be in its orbit for just a second. And what a rude awakening to open that door and run literally into the rain. And I mean, I was soaking wet. It was so quite napkin a napkin did not. Work. I didn't. Um, I didn't return the napkin. And the napkin has the Katarina's logo on it. And I feel oh, nice. badly about this. Like I should return it next time I see him. I don't know. I think but you deserve to keep the napkin. I didn't mean to keep the napkin, but I. Yeah, it was my umbrella. <laughs> it did its job for the evening. Okay, so all that to say, it was a fascinating evening that I. I really enjoyed and I did come in skeptical. Now, what do y'all think? You go in, you're asked to put your phone away. Are you going to be okay? As a mom, I have a lot of anxiety. So not being by my phone kind of freaks me out a little bit. I'm totally fine not having my phone on me, but I want to do that on my own terms. Like it's weird to me to hand my phone over to lock it in a box. Like I got it. I cannot look at my phone by myself. (laughs) Also the contrast that you have as a diner right now where you have restaurants where you have to use your phone to order. Oh, You have to use Mm -hmm. your phone to look at the menu, sometimes even place your order. Yes. And then meanwhile then you have restaurants now trying to take this approach of we won't even let you touch your phone and what's the consequence too if you sneak in a phone do you get kicked out you know I don't know Aaron (laughs) and I didn't try it but he has an answer for all of these dilemmas okay so you need a phone call or someone needs to find you Uh uh-huh They'll bring a phone over and there's a phone jack behind every seat and they will plug in a red phone, which to me seems embarrassing. Do you remember people's numbers? No. 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 The other dilemma is what if I want to take pictures of my food and they say, we will email you a gallery of all dishes after dinner. And I experienced this because I didn't have my phone and I wanted photos of what I had eaten. And I also kind of wanted to test what they had said. And I got a very beautiful gallery of everything that they have on the menu. And hilariously, there was stuff in this gallery that we didn't eat. And I was like, well, shoot, now I got to go back and get that other thing. An accidental marketing moment. Was their gallery of photos accurate to what was presented to you? I did find it to be accurate. Now, I was sitting with the man who owns this restaurant. So our food was going to look great. So now I'm going to read a comment from a reader. What if someone needs to call you babysitter or family emergency or any number of things? They're not going to know the number to the stupid rotary phone. I don't need a restaurant owner to be my mommy. This is from (laughs) Susan Does Dallas. So what do you think uh, Tim Love would respond to that? I think Tim Love would say that she probably doesn't want to go to his restaurant then. Mm -hmm. And I don't speak for Tim Love. I don't know that much about him. I did spend more than three hours dining with him recently and talking about this very topic. Um, So I would guess he would say, there are a number of restaurants, including Italian restaurants, that will let you play with your phone and you should go to one of those. Because I think he doesn't mind if people who don't get it don't come. When do they tell you that you can't have your phone? Because I did look online on the website and I did not find any information about that. I would guess that when you make a reservation, they tell you dress code and because there's also dress code. Right, right. That's my guess. I do not think that you walk in having no idea. The people who go there know what they're doing. They know whose restaurant it is. They know where it is. They know what to wear. And they know their phone is going to go away for a second. And if you're like me, I just told my husband, this is the place I'm going. I guess call the main number if you need me or just know I'll have my phone in a little bit. And it was very weird feeling. (laughs) But, But no one needed me. I look forward to hearing from readers and diners who go there. So please share that with us. 
So there's another incident this week in North Texas where a woman was caught on video verbally berating a group of South Asian women, and she was arrested in connection with that assault, which happened in the parking lot of Sixty Vines Restaurant in Plano. And so Sixty Vines offered a response and statement. We are appalled and deeply saddened by the incident that happened outside of our restaurant Wednesday night. We will not tolerate discrimination or hate of any kind. We've attempted to reach out to the women who dined with us to offer support. As a company, we're working closely with the PD to provide any all information needed. We've reinforced our beliefs with our team and ensured we communicated with all guests that we have reached out. So that was a statement from 60 Vines. Um, the woman has since been arrested, and I'm sure everyone has seen the video by now, and it was just really vile and hateful. But what do you guys think the role that a restaurant plays in this? It's a tough spot to be in. 60 Vines, you know, this didn't happen in their restaurant. Right. It just happened to take place in their parking lot, and that's kind of a nightmare to have to deal with. You know, we've seen similar things like this happen before, and I think all a restaurant can do is is really what 60 Vines is doing in this situation and speaking up that they don't stand for that and cooperating with authorities as needed. But that's a tough PR thing to be up against. We wouldn't have known where it was except that the video panned a little bit at one point and you caught the full restaurant name. So we all know this could have happened anywhere. And oh, how crushing. I'm sure when they saw this video, they thought, oh my God. Yeah. Are they going to ban this woman for life? It's their right to do that. I would. We don't see that ever, really. I can't think of a time when someone was banned from a restaurant. You see the flip side when a restaurant is like, hey, famous person, come in and you can have free right. nachos for yeah. life or something. But I mean, I can't recall a time ever. Now this would be an excellent one. If I, this happened on a flight, you know this woman right. would be banned from that airline. So I kind of wonder a great point. if mm -hmm. that could happen. I, I could hardly get through the video, you guys. Oh, I just, it made me want to burst into tears. Yeah. I did find a list of uh, famous people who have been banned from restaurants. Oh. So it does happen. Thank you, Julie. Tell yeah. us. <laughs> yes, please. Ariana Grande has been banned from Wolfie Donuts in Lake Elsinore, California, because uh, she was caught on camera licking the donuts on display and uttering, I hate America. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> when this happened. This is according to a ranker list. Also, let's see, someone named Stuart Rar has been banned from Nobu, at least the one in New York, after he berated a manager and tried to pay off diners for their table. Oh. So it is a thing that happens. I'm sure there are people banned at restaurants in Dallas. Yeah. I'm sure. Do you know of any bad behavior at restaurants? Please tell us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned as we chat about the North Texas Filipino food scene. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Eat, Drink, DFW. I'm so excited to be talking about Filipino food in DFW today. And we have several wonderful guests on to share their experience and their expertise. First, we have Tina Danzi, who's a longtime contributing food writer for the Dallas Morning News. 
plus Anna Swan of Filipino food pop-up Ulam Dallas, and Steve Smith, a Dallas chocolatier and French caramel maker who ran the former Betty Ringer ice cream in West Dallas. Thank you so much for being here. I know Filipino food is such a rich topic that we could go on forever, but Tina, I'll, I'll kick it off with you. If you could start with some of your background. Well, first of all, full disclosure, I'm half Filipino. I grew up in Houston in the 1970s without much connection to Filipino culture, other than my mom, who's from the island of Leyte, and she would make a handful of classic Filipino dishes, including my favorite, which is chicken adobo. And it's probably the easiest five-ingredient dish, besides chicken, five-ingredient dish you'll ever make. It's a stew of chicken, peppercorn, bay leaf, a whole head of garlic, soy sauce, and vinegar. And it's just fabulous. It's something that I really um, didn't start embracing, um, Filipino cooking at least, until I became a mom myself in the 90s here in Dallas. And I started learning more about Filipino food. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized it was really kind of like the original fusion cuisine because it draws on so many culinary influences. There's like the God knows how many millennia long Malay people who lived in the Philippines Um, as natives. And then there's the Chinese influence. They were ancient trading partners and early immigrants to the Philippines. And then the Spanish influence, um, the Spaniards ruled the Philippines for 300 years until 1898. And then finally, there's a huge American influence on the cuisine because the U.S. uh, ruled it as the Philippines was a protectorate for 50 years after the Spanish-American War. So that's almost until 1950. Those five different culinary influences, um, that's a lot for one cuisine, I think. And I became so passionate about Filipino food in the 90s and about my mom's recipes that my first article as a food writer for the Dallas Morning News was on Filipino cooking, and it used some of my mom's recipes. And that was kind of what made me a food writer. And so I kind of considered it my lucky charm at the time. But as I was doing research for that story, it was really frustrating because there wasn't a food, a Filipino food scene in Dallas at the time. And I wondered if it's because Filipinos are so big on gathering with friends and extended family for these huge potlucks where everybody brings Tupperware so they can bring leftovers home. And I was wondering if maybe that kind of did it for them and they didn't really feel a need to start a restaurant scene in North Texas. I don't know if that's true or not, but it occurred to me. And in the past five years, though, I feel like there's finally a Filipino food scene. And I think it's thanks to the rise of like Filipino food festivals and Asian food festivals and pop-ups like Ulam. Thank you. I was wondering, Anna, if if you think that these pop-ups kind of recreate that sense of community that Filipinas like in a potluck. And I also wonder if it's attracting converts to Filipino food. Yeah, I think the pop-ups are definitely doing all that you said, Tina, especially with us. When I first started Ulam, my initial thought was, let me just see if Dallas proper has the appetite for Filipino food. And we did our very first pop-up at Petacolas in 2017. We met so many people who had either tried Filipino food once or twice or had never heard of Filipino food. When I started Ulam, that was kind of my goal, bringing the community together, because for me, it was a sense of home. Like I'm just sharing my memories and my food with people 
of the same culture or who might not be familiar with Filipino culture. And over the past five years that we've been doing it, it's been so great to kind of like convert people to Filipino food and introduce them to it. But then also for Filipinos alike to try our food and just have a sense of home as well. I had a very interesting experience the first time I had your food at a pop-up. I remember that. I thought this is like home only better. You were elevating it, giving it a little bit more of a chefy spin. I remember you came up to me and we were ch- chatting for a little bit. And I did my Tipsy Pen Sit. Yes. My Tipsy Pen Sit has definitely become one of my signature dishes. Just to um, educate people who have not had Pen Sit before, it's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but it's kind of a stir fry noodle dish. Yeah. It's got a lot of kind of Chinese influence. And that is one thing I noticed about yours also that I liked is that there was a real freshness to the vegetables. You weren't using overcooked vegetables like a lot of times you'll find. So you do kind of chef it up in that regard. <laughs> That's a technical term. You're chefing it up. I try. And so Steve, what about you? Well, like Tina, um, I'm also Filipino-American. Um, my mom is Filipina. My dad's white. Um, they met during the Vietnam War when my dad was stationed in the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines. Um, I lived a lot of my early life overseas in the Pacific and Guam. My mom, quite uh, honestly, she did not know how to cook when she first got married. Um, So her first time in the U.S. was in um, Whidbey Island in the Puget Sound. That was um, one of my uh, uh, dad's first duty stations. And when she got there, she was 21, 22 years old. And she learned from the other Filipino wives who were there. And that's where she learned how to cook. And me growing up... um, I was what they call a husky kid, which is, uh, (laughs) you know, I like to eat. And if I like to eat, I need to learn how to cook. And so I was kind of the one who would stand by my mom while she cooked and just learned how everything was made. She never made recipes, rarely wrote anything down. So you were always just, you had to watch how much you put in there. A little bit of that, like that's not helping me at all. But after I went to college, I came here and I worked for the Dallas Stars and I didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And I, I just wanted to cook. And so that's when I went to culinary school and been doing chocolate and desserts and ice cream ever since then. I know when you had the ice cream shop, you had a few Filipino influences. When uh, we lived in the Philippines, the biggest influence were the street vendors, the, the little carts that would come by. One was the fishball vendor. They would, you know, make the handmade fishballs and stir fry it up, put it on a stick. But the other one was the little ice cream cart where they had the tiny little cones. But more importantly, what I remember were the hot dog and hamburger buns they scooped the ice cream on and people would eat it that way. Yes. And the one flavor that always, I always, always remembered, you know, they had coconut and mango, but it was the ube. And ube is super popular. But in the Philippines, you can get ube ice cream with little pieces of cheese in it. Mm-hmm. And the little pieces of cheese, more than likely, I think, were edam cheese. And there's a whole history about the Dutch yes. and edam cheese in the Philippines. And that's something I tried to recreate while um, you know, I was at the ice cream shop. But at the same time, too, that gave me a desire to create ice creams of other cultures, too. Right. But you know, there's always that want and that nostalgia for, you know, the ice cream as you were as a kid. And it's always the ube ice cream. That's the one. You talk to any Filipino. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite ice cream? What's the one you remember as ube? Yeah. And now actually ube isn't everything now. <laughs> yes. I feel like I do see it everywhere. I have a question for the group. Um, 
I am very partial to my mother's chicken adobo recipe. She can sometimes she'll put pork in there, but it's just those five ingredients of vinegar, soy sauce, a whole head of garlic, bay leaf, and peppercorns, and of course the the meat. I mean, I know there are as many adobo recipes as there are households in the Philippines, and there's like a thousand islands in the Philippines too. So I'm wondering what you guys do with your adobo. So my version is based off of my dad's family's recipe. Both sides use the same basic ingredients, soy sauce, black peppercorn, bay leaf, vinegar. But in terms of cooking technique is where it differs. So my Lola, she's from Shargao, so like the Visayan region. And theirs was more dry or like they would really, yeah. oh my gosh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Reduce. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, they would definitely reduce down their sauce a lot more versus my dad's Theirs is more saucy. Yeah, our family too, the way my mom did it is like when we did the pork adobo, always sear the pork first and do it that way. But ours was also very saucy because the sauce was the most important part with the rice. I mean, yes. it's just you could take the meat away at the end as long as you had that sauce. Yes. yes. Well, and with the Filipino diaspora, you're finding people coming to the U.S. or, you know, and it depends on which part of the U.S., whether it's South Texas, California, or Hawaii, they're going to be doing different things. Yes, uh, I guess it's just about the, where you are and the ingredients that you have sometimes, too. Well, you know, that's funny that you bring that up um, because, Steve, I think when I had my potluck years back, you made lumpia, and as I recall, you had ground beef in your lumpia. Lumpia are basically like egg rolls. They're like Chinese egg rolls, only better. I personally and my family, we personally like the ground beef lumpia more than we do the pork lumpia. But that's because for the last, you know, 40 plus years, we've only eaten ground beef lumpia. And so that's that's just our kind of palate, our preference. Our family's pork. <laughs> <laughs> And so what are some other classic Filipino dishes that you guys like to make at home? Like to make or like to eat? Both. <laughs> I like bibinka. Bibinka's good. It's kind of like a baked rice pudding with coconut milk and tons of brown sugar. At home, we'll have a rotation. We'll do sinigang, pork sinigang, um, bistek Tagalog. It was one of my favorites growing up. It's always a request whenever I go home. <laughs> Palabok. Can you explain to the uninitiated what these dishes are? Yes. Sinigang is a tamarind-based soup. I joke about its sour power. Filipinos love our sourness because adobo, one of the main ingredients is vinegar. Sinigang, the base ingredient is tamarind, and it'll hit you like right in the back of the cheeks. <laughs> I remember the first time I made it for a friend who's Vietnamese, he was like, this is really sour. I was like, I know I love it. Don't you love it? <laughs> and so for me, um, I make desserts. I make, I, I'm not a sweets person, but I love, I love making sweets. I prefer making desserts and sweets and ice cream over savory food, although I would rather eat savory food. But when it comes to Filipino desserts, um, you know, to be totally honest, one of my favorite, favorite desserts, and it's not sweet at all, are little steamed rice flour cakes that usually are accompanied for like dinaguan, which is a blood stew. But when it comes to savory food, you know, you have like the trilogy, you have the pancit, the lumpia, and the adobo. They have those three at every Filipino party. And you can never forget the rice either. You always have to have rice. There's a little running joke in our family. Um, we have during Christmas and Thanksgiving, we always have half Filipino food, half American food to satisfy everybody. 
But the one thing that brings all the foods together is rice. And if we forget the rice, people get mad. <laughs> so you always have to have rice, no matter no matter what it is. There's always rice. And so, how do you guys feel about spam? That's definitely one of those homesick foods a lot of um, Filipinos crave. How do you guys like to eat spam? Spam silog is my go-to. Spam eggs and rice. Um, that's how we grew up eating it. I didn't even know it was called spam silog. It's so simple, but it's just so good. Like the garlic rice. And then the super salty savoriness of the spam, and then that runny egg. You know, the state fair used to have a spam cooking competition among all of their many food contests. I don't know if they still do, but I think you guys should enter. Spam is a, spam is a wonderful dish. People just need to give it a chance. I remember when we would have spam at pop-ups, people would see the menu and they're like, do you have anything else? I'm like, nope. <laughs> Where do you kind of see the North Texas Filipino food scene going in the future? I mean, you see more and more popping up, like over here out in Fort Worth. I think they're one of the newer ones that opened up. And then Taste of Philippines in Garland. And I just love what our generation is doing. Because for me, Ulam has been such a personal journey. Also, it's not just food. It's just a reconnection with the culture I honestly started it because I was homesick of the food that I didn't have here from back home. And then it was just my way to honor my family back in the Bay Area. Well, we're grateful to your generation because I really see them making a difference in so many ways, including in this Filipino culinary way. And it's exciting to finally see that energy coming from younger people, not just from older people who are, you know, trying to hang their shingle out as a mom and pop, but from younger people. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll hear from the Fletcher's Corny Dog family about their new food truck. That's right after this. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Welcome back, everyone. Now it's time to talk about a great new food truck on the restaurant scene, Fletcher's Corny Dogs. We can soon get corny dogs at Clyde Warren Park almost any time we want. Here's more from Gigi and Amber Fletcher to talk about their new permanent location. For the first time in at least 30 years, Fletcher's has a permanent location in Dallas. Now, it's not a brick and mortar, but it is a food truck at Clyde Warren Park. It is going to be there every day of the week, same hour, same time, and I am so excited. That's awesome. And so why your first permanent location outside of the state fair? So people would tell us, you know, hey, you can't serve us from year to year. Like, you need to have something. Like, I want Fletcher's Corny Dog. I don't want to have to drive to an event or I don't have to drive to a pop-up. And for several years, we've been looking for the right place, the right time. We've been so close several times. And eventually, the right place, right time came with Clyde Warren Park. They reached out to us. We began discussing having this permanent food truck there. It was that thing where everything comes together. It all makes sense. We could not be more excited and more proud to have a location 
for people, whether they're community members or tourists, or they just love hanging out over at Clyde Warren Park, or even fans that want to drive in from other cities to come into Dallas to finally have a Fletcher's Corny Dog, where they know they can get one at this time, at this place. And so we're really thrilled for the kickoff that's about to happen. When will that kick off? Fletcher's will launch in mid-September to align with the opening of the new fountain. And so will there also be mustard and ketchup available? Just for you. (laughs) So yes, they were talking about me because I like ketchup on my corny dog. And I know it is frowned upon and is very shameful. Um, (laughs) So the Fletcher's folks have also said that other customers bring their own condiments aside from mustard and ketchup. Like people have brought their own ranch dressing to dip their corny dog in. So that's crazy. Yeah. So Sarah and Claire, what do you guys like on your corny dog? I honor the tradition. So mustard, but I'll say I like some ketchup on it also. It also makes for a great photo. Yeah. I think it requires ketchup and mustard. I have no shame. Claire, you're also not from here, so I feel like you can somehow get away with that. Being born and raised in North Texas, even if I were to like ketchup more, I don't think I could say that to you guys. But where did this ketchup hate come from? Isn't like a Chicago thing? You don't put ketchup on Chicago hot dogs. Is that where this is kind of coming from? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I don't feel know. like ketchup gets a bad rap, like it's just for kids or something. Mustard was the way that they ate it when they started serving these 80 years ago. And if I've ever met a family that hangs on to its history, it's the Fletcher family. So I think that's part of it. I would wager a guess that they are not borrowing anything from any other cities or states. We're too darn Texas proud. But right. I, I'm here to say that I think that ketchup would be fine on it too. Tastes good. It's definitely fine. The president of Clyde Warren Park also made the point, which I thought was a good one, that if you go to New York City, you know, you can get a hot dog in the park. And when you come to Dallas's Central Park, uh, Fletcher's would be that New York hot dog. That makes sense to me. Excellent. So how do you like your corny dogs? Please tell us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com or fill out our form at dallasnews.com slash food. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. That's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.